All right. Well, howdy, friends. Welcome to Sexy Talk. All right. Hey, my name is James. I'm one of the pastors here at Crossroads. And today we uh, close up a three-week series we're doing called Sex Talk, where we're uh, looking at sex from a biblical perspective. And like what, what we learned um, early on is that sex is good because God who made sex is good. And we've learned a lot about the right way to approach sex, to actually experience it as the good gift that God created it to be in our lives. So as a starting place for where we're going today, and uh, today's going to get a little uncomfortable, so just kind of strap up the boots and let's get after it. But uh, as, we, as a starting place, um, when we think that sex is good, are all of the modern expressions of sex and human sexuality in our culture today good? Regarding our sexuality, do you think that we are flourishing or floundering as humans in regards to our sexuality? Now, no doubt, uh, sex has had many revolutions over the years, right, uh, to, to uh, liberate people, if you will. Sex has been used for enjoyment, right? It, it's not, not fun, right? Um, it's been used to procreate, to make babies, and it's also been used to build and topple kingdoms and to sell lots of stuff, everything from sports cars to deodorant. So sex has had many revolutions over the years, but today we're living in a unique cultural moment where we're being invited and encouraged to explore, to follow, and embrace whatever our sexual interests are. Whatever they are, it's, it's affirmed, and we're told that we will find peace, joy, and ultimate happiness if we identify and live in that. So the question is there, are we thriving based on the movement that we are all living in, that we're raising families in? Is this a good thing? So I'd like to remind you of uh, one of my favorite movies, the 1940s movie Pinocchio, right? Remember this? So good. Like uh, long before Disney did all their live action stuff and ruined their stories, like this amazing story uh, came out. Uh, many years ago, and uh, it's such a great tale. And uh, let me remind you the premise of the story. So a loving father creates a wooden boy, and by a little bit of Disney magic, uh, that boy comes alive. And he's literally born into all of the wonder and excitement and awe of the world around him. And in this process of his, his coming alive, he's invited to a unique place, a place called Pleasure Island. Now, Pleasure Island, the, the promise and the invitation is you can go there and you can live and do whatever you want, that everything is affirmed and it's good. And as the story progresses, Pinocchio and his, his buddy get to Pleasure Island. And guess what? It's everything it was expected to be. You can do anything there, right? There is uh, food galore, so food and drinks. There's a model home community that you can just go and throw bricks through windows and just break stuff. There's a tent that's set up just for boys to scrap, right? And there's a place called Whiskey Road, no, not Whiskey Road, uh, Tobacco Road, where there's endless cigars and whiskey, and everything is free. And Pinocchio feels like he found this utopia. But if you've seen the movie, for 1940, it was a dark movie, because you remember what happens. 
All of a sudden, his buddy grows ears. They pop out and a tail and a donkey snout. And what they realize is in giving into these desires that they have, that they forfeit their humanity, that they forfeit the life that they actually knew. And in a scary moment, we see that they are turned into something that is not human, into donkeys, and they're sold into slavery. And I'd like to challenge us as we wade into this conversation together that in this cultural moment, with this mass invitation that we see before us, that we are actually being invited into something not dissimilar to that story. That with all of the social and political commentary telling us how wonderful uh, affirming any and every sexual activity under the, under the moon, right? That there's actually widespread brokenness that humans are dealing with. Uh, young people are being encouraged to, uh, to lean into the various sexual uh, uh, lifestyles and discern which one they are at, at, at times in their life when they are developmentally not even really able to comprehend what they're exposed to, right? I remember thinking girls had cooties until like, I was like 25, right? Um, right? And, but, but at young ages, kids are actually making decisions on if they're straight, if they're bi, if they're gay, right? At young ages in their development. With the excessive access to pornography, men and women are experiencing widespread brokenness. Psychologists actually say that, that uh, young men who watch excessive porn, which is a lot of them, that their brains are being hardwired to actually only be stimulated by extreme uh, visual realities. So back in the day when the pretty girl next door, when you're kind of coming of age, you're like, wow, she's cute, right? Young men, like, uh, things are not clicking unless the, the visual stimulation is excessive. And in that, they're growing up with diminished respect for women, unrealistic sexual expectations, and a lack of the interactive skills to confidently or authentically connect with real women. In staggering numbers, young girls around the age of 12 are massively watching porn to learn what men expect from them sexually. So in this, this tender age of, of discovering their identity and their value, they are literally being groomed by a billion dollar industry to meet unrealistic expectations of men. With our hookup culture, with Tinder and apps like that, men and women are fulfilling base sexual desires with minimal human interactions. And all of this leads to, um, to deep, disconnection and tragic consequences. Everything from the loss of innocence, shame and regrets, secrecy, fear of past decisions coming back to haunt us, abortion of unwanted human beings, STDs, the list goes on and on. So I think regardless of if I have already offended you, you can see that somewhere on that spectrum, sexuality is pretty broken. There's something wrong. So what we're going to explore today is if human sexuality is broken, and if the gospel, the message of Jesus that we boldly talk about here, is to bring human flourishing and blessing, how does the gospel 
actually redeem human sexuality? I mean, can it? Right? And that's what we're going to explore today. We're, uh, we're going to lean into that subject and uh, unpack that uh, together. So for our journey today, uh, here's kind of the outline of what we're going to follow. Ready? It starts with good, bad, worse, and then restored. So three quarters of the sermon is going to be hard talk, okay? So just kind of prepare yourself for that. But we're going to land at a place where we look at the biblical truth and see that God understands our brokenness and that the coming of Jesus was actually his plan to give us hope and life. So that's where we're going to go. I'm excited you're here. And uh, yeah, let's get after it. So our story begins with good. The good that God created for humankind. Now Genesis opens up in this dramatic fashion where in one chapter we get the story of how God created everything we see. The, the ground, the mountains, the trees, the animals, all of that. And in Genesis chapter 2, we zoom into the detail of the creation of Adam and Eve, man and woman. And what we learn is that Adam was created first, and then out of Adam, God created a partner. He created two human beings that perfectly completed each other. Adam and Eve, they were perfectly matched. And when they were created, the Bible says this is very good. And at the end of Genesis 2, we have this verse. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. They were not ashamed. In this exclusive connection between the man and his wife, there was security, there was trust, there was companionship, there was unity, and there was nakedness without shame. They were naked in the most complete way possible. They were beautifully innocent. And that is how our story began. That's where your story began. But unfortunately, like a lot of stories, it just didn't stay there. Genesis 3 is where we find out about how the wheels on humanity kind of fall off. See, we were given this amazing utopia, this amazing connection, and we were given one rule to follow. Don't eat fruit from the tree in the center of the garden. And our spiritual parents, Adam and Eve, uh, believed a lie by God's enemy. And the lie is this. God's holding out. He's really not good. And it'd be easy for us to throw them under the bus, but let's be honest. How many of us have been there? Right? There's something that we want to do. There's something we want to lean into. And we're like, it doesn't look that bad. Pleasure Island looks kind of fun. Doesn't seem very harmful. Right? And this story is not about a fruit tree. It's about trust. It's about believing in the goodness of God. And with two bites of an apple, they display their lack of trust and they set their trajectory and our trajectory away from God. And following this tragic scene, we read this. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. See, they went in that one moment from naked and were not ashamed to they knew they were naked and created clothing, literal boundaries 
between each other. See, the, the security, trust, compassion, ship, unity, nakedness without shame that they knew now was overtaken by shame, by fear, by self-protection, by withholding, by confusion, by lack of trust. And at the close of Genesis, or Genesis 3, Adam and Eve stumble out of paradise, and the division between them is cast into human DNA that we carry. And as tragic as that is, our story goes from bad to worse. See, what Adam and Eve did, humanity continues to do until God intervenes and corrects our tragic trajectory. Let's let that sink in. What Adam and Eve did, humanity continues to do until God intervenes and corrects our tragic trajectory. In the book of Romans, we learn the effect of Adam and Eve's rebellion on all of humankind. Through generations of humans, the same story holds true, but with increasing catastrophic results. We find this in Romans chapter 1, where the author literally picks up right after Genesis 3. And it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So here's what happened. We, humankind, all of us, reject relationship with God and refuse to acknowledge his goodness around us and toward us. We then look to other things in our lives to satisfy and bless us, and we ultimately replace God by those things, right? They make us happy, so we offer ourselves to them more fully. And the result, what's God's move in the middle of all of this catastrophic activity? God moves was simply to allow us the autonomy we demanded. When we rejected him, he painfully gave us what we asked for. He let us go to Pleasure Island, allowing humanity the freedom to experience life separated from him. And let's just stay here for a second because a lot of us, whether you're a parent, grandparent, or you have a friend, another human being, we, we live in that tension too, don't we? Don't we all have family members and friends that we love that make life choices that in our gut we're, we're just thinking, oh, I think this is going to end poorly for you. But in love, you, we often let people live in that way. And this painfully is what God's position is, which leads to a critical question that I get a lot as a pastor, and this is a great place to address it. Um, regarding our sexuality, did God create humankind with our sexual confusion or our desire apart from God's best? Did God create people with their desires as they are, and therefore they should live that way to honor God is kind of how it comes up in our culture. And I think this passage answers that. You see, our sexual and gender confusion is a result of humanity's 
willful separation from God. It's not how God made us. What God made for us was good. And Adam and Eve's rebellion caused this cancer to literally cascade throughout all of humanity. And we all bear that in some capacity. Now, for some of us, it's our anger. For some of us, it's our greed. Others, it's our deep insecurity that we can't get over. And for some, it's our sexual dysphoria or confusion. But God isn't the author of those things. Those come because of the choice that we made to first reject God. Now, this passage ends with the loaded words, Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And this passage goes on to share of homosexual activities committed between women and women and men with men. And it joins a list of other aspects of our broken sexuality that humans struggle with. And let's face it, uh, humans are pretty creative people. And in the area of sexuality, like we have not held back our creativity, right? There is some, there's some weird stuff out there. I'm not going to tell you to Google it, but uh, <laughs> not saying I did either. But anyways, uh, yeah, but we are creative people. And that goes to our sexuality so often. And now this passage has often been used as, as a, a, a club to attack the LGBTQ community, right? Because it, it, it calls out homosexuality. But I would challenge you that though homosexuality is condemned in Scripture, it is not God's design for men and women, that it, it is included in a list of other out-of-bounds sexual activities that we struggle with or may even give ourselves to. Everything from what seems innocent, from lusting with the eye, to sexual promiscuity, to adultery, to the variety, that litany of dishonoring our bodies amongst ourselves. And in this moment, please hear me, uh, a crossroads loves people. We love the LGBTQ community. We love you regardless of your sexual background or your sexual lifestyle right now today. We believe that the message of Jesus is that he entered into our situation to offer us hope. And that's why the doors of Crossroads are open to anyone and everyone looking for hope, because we believe that meeting Jesus is the first step in discovering that. And in that, we also believe that for all of us that follow Jesus, that begin a relationship with God, that God will lead each of us out of lifestyles and patterns in our life that are opposed to his best for us. It's, it's, it's part of the, the transformation, the redemption that he offers us is that great gift. And the great concern that I have in this cultural moment that we're living in is that we are encouraged to find salvation and human flourishing in choosing and living in what sexual, whatever sexual expression or activity we choose. Similar to the invitation to Pleasure Island in Pinocchio, we're encouraged to explore whatever activities we ha or de desires we have and told to be proud of anything and everything that we pursue. And what breaks my heart in that is if, if Romans 1 is true, then we are literally encouraging people who are far from God 
to keep running in the opposite direction. That we are eliminating the opportunity for hope because we are encouraging them away from the only source of flourishing for humankind. That breaks my heart. And the beauty of the gospel is that God didn't leave us there. See, when we find ourselves at our lowest state, God shows up and he offers us uh, a lasting hope. And like a good doctor might say, your lab results are in, this is what we have, and this is the plan to heal you. God enters into our story in that same way. He diagnoses it clearly and offers us hope. And that's the very good news that we have. So how does the gospel redeem sex? And there's three steps that I just want to walk through uh, that I believe encourage us toward thriving, flourishing sex lives flowing from the wisdom of the God that created it. The first one is we must be spiritually set free by Jesus to allow him to begin the restoration process in our lives. See, restoration of humankind begins by responding to Jesus and responding with confessing our rebellion and accepting his forgiveness toward us. In Romans 3, the author summarizes our dilemma in one clear sentence. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The verdict could not be more concise or clear. Uh, We're rebels separated from God. And with 12 simple words, he summarizes Genesis 3 and Romans 1. And the beauty is God doesn't leave us there, right? He says, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. See, Christian teaching presents this reality that God created us and it was very good. And by personal choice and by broken humanity, we rejected God. We just saw that in Romans 1, right? Then Jesus came in the flesh lived a perfect life, died on a cross to pay the ransom for our rebellion. Nothing on his part, he did it for us. And by believing, by, by, by faith in what he accomplished, the Bible teaches us that we can be restored. We can be reconnected to God and the plan that he created us to experience and live in. And from there, the Christian life is an, an, an adventure of God cleaning up the various aspects of our lives. Every Christian experiences this, and it's an ongoing process for our entire time until we die. It's called sanctification, and it's a beautiful work that God walks us all through. And that leads to the second step of our restoration, which is found in Romans chapter 12. And it says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now notice something super cool about this verse. It says to offer our bodies to God as an act of worship, right? You remember in Romans 1, what did we do with our bodies? We dishonored our bodies amongst ourselves. So literally what God is saying 
the bodies that you used for things that were destroying you, I'm now asking you, offer that body to me. I mean, it's almost like a God says, now that we're in relationship, let me show you how to use the equipment, if you will, right? Um, and he leads us on a journey of, of transformation that, that we benefit from. And what, what does this look like in our everyday life? Uh, for me personally, over the many years I've been a Christian and dozens of people that I've talked to over the years, um, that it, it's personal and that there, it always comes down to breaking activities that, and patterns of how we used to live. For a lot of us, it's like, it's our language or our attitude or our anger or our worldview. And, for, and then for most everybody that I talk to, guys especially, it, it goes to the pants, right? We have to deal with our sexuality in some way, in the ways that we have been, been transformed by the world in a way that is not God's design. And it's a beautiful process of God leading us toward what is ultimately best for us. Okay, step three of this recovery is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And most people don't know this verse. Uh, it kind of stands out. It feels pretty provocative, but this is what it says. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So what we see is in, in marriage, there is this mutual submission. There is this loving each other. There is, I mean, I'm married and there's one body in the world that I get to play with to be crass, right? That's the way God designed it, right? It's a beautiful thing. And in the safety, security, privacy of marriage, we can pursue and find sexual healing, wholeness and satisfaction. See, in, in marriage, a husband and a wife, they get to offer themselves fully and completely to each other. And it's incredible, flowing out of Romans 12, where God tells us to offer our bodies to him. The next step in that process is God says, now offer that body to this other person because God uses marriage to heal our brokenness. And the crazy thing happens there is that in that kind of a connection, what does God actually do? He gives us Genesis 2 back. He gives us Eden. He gave me an Eve. He gave my wife an Adam. And in our brokenness from our past experience, now we have this little environment to, to uh, pursue healing and wholeness, to unpack our wounds and our fears and our insecurities, and to ultimately find sexual joy and satisfaction. See, all of us have baggage, right? All of us came from someplace of brokenness. Uh, even if you lived a pretty good life, um, all of us still came out of Romans 1 and Genesis 3. And it's in this setting where our fear of rejection or our shame from the past or maybe abuse that your spouse can actually be an agent of healing and wholeness for us. And all of this is by God's good design. He, he loves us that much. 
So how does the gospel redeem sex? Let me talk to three specific audiences uh, who are here. The first are to single people of all ages. And my encouragement to you is live out Romans 3, live out Romans 12, surrender your life and body to Jesus, and allow God to begin to transform you. Focus your energy on connecting to God and allowing him to heal you at the deepest parts of you. And the great thing is, if you choose to marry someday, it will actually prepare you to be the man or the woman that can actually step into that, that stage and experience the, the fullness of that healing process that God wants to do. Just taking an awkward moment, I'm going to talk to the guys because uh, it's such a big issue in our culture. Don't watch porn. It is so prevalent and so common in our culture and nobody is really talking about the drastic ramifications of it. How it degrades our masculinity. It sets completely unrealistic expectations. For many men, it reduces their drive to actually leave the house and go pursue a real woman in the real world. And there are real women in this real world that are looking for real men to engage with them. And I promise you guys, uh, your future missus, she's not naked on some website. Okay? She's just not there. So this is a discipline of singleness, and even for married people, that is a massive trap that I'd encourage us to be careful of. To those living in some form of broken sexuality, my encouragement is, again, live out Romans 3, live out Romans 12, and open up to another person about your brokenness, about your backstory. Talk about it. Psychologists say that, for the most part, sexual um, brokenness is generally not sexual. It usually ties back to a wound or inaccurate thinking in people's background and they just can't get beyond it. And the choices that they make sexually are often a response to something that they've experienced in the past. This can be a, a safe friend. This could be a professional counselor. But I'd encourage you, open up, bring those things into the light and allow God and another human being to walk with you, to love you through that healing and wholeness. The gospel promises us hope, and that's the way that we walk into that. And to married people struggling sexually, and the reports say this, this is a lot of marriages. We don't talk about this stuff. I'm the guy that gets to talk about it today, right? But it's a reality that a lot of married couples struggle with. And the reality, the problem is that I think in many marriages, we enter into marriage and it's transactional at best or it's selfish. That we often marry to get our needs met and we assess the other person is, is going to fulfill that. And we don't realize that what marriage is actually designed to do is to support each other and that you're able to be um, a safe place for that other individual. See, Christian marriage, like what Pastor Chris shared last week, is an invitation to serve the other person. And that means being a safe person that when they talk about their fears, their concerns, a past regret, that you're not gonna run. 
that you're going to love them through that. That till death do us part thing actually means loving them as they open up their brokenness that God's already forgiven them for, but they're hoping that you will as well. And this is a great opportunity that if we walk through those things, that level of vulnerability that the world does not offer, that on the other side of that is safety and security and trust and sexual satisfaction that we all long for. Sex is good, but we have to walk through our brokenness to get to that and experience it. Well, thanks for hanging with me. <laughs> it's been a tough morning, but um, what, what, what is encouraging is this message of Jesus really is hope for humankind. And I love, and part of why we celebrate communion every week here at Crossroads is because regardless of what we talk about, the death and the resurrection of Jesus actually gives us hope. He actually delivers us from our brokenness. So as we think about Jesus hanging on the cross and dying for us, the reason he did is because that was necessary. And that now there is an offer of liberation and freedom on the table to us because of his broken body. So we do this, we eat this today together, celebrating the love of God and that sacrifice of Jesus. And in that moment when his blood was shed, where he was violently beaten, bleeding out on a cross and died there in the afternoon sun, that that set us free. It gives us a picture of how broken we were that an act like that was necessary to restore it. But it's been accomplished. And today we drink this in celebration of that finished work of Jesus. We're going to spend the remainder of our time singing about the love of God, singing about how he changes our lives. And I don't know what God's doing in your heart this morning. Uh, I might have stirred up some good stuff or some bad stuff, um, but I trust that God's in that. And if you at any time as we're singing want to be freed from that, I'd encourage you on the wall over here, uh, you can go there at any time. Our friends online, uh, you can go into the chat and uh, find someone there to, to share and open up with. But bring those burdens, bring them to Jesus by bringing them to somebody who knows Jesus. And let us help you carry that burden to him so that he can take it away. It's our, our great promise and it's the hope we live in. So let's stand together and uh, our friends are going to lead us in.